God, that you would be here, that we would be doing life with you. That's our prayer, God. Thank you so much for who you are and what you have done for us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you take a moment before you're seated, greet someone around you, uh, shake a hand. Well, good evening, guys. Welcome to Wednesday Night Community. Um, feel free, as always, if you're, if you're new with us, we always say this is kind of a laid-back setting. Always feel free to get up and go grab another snack or coffee or something to drink here as we're, as we're going throughout the night. Um, hey, last chance to sign up. Uh, for those of you who are interested in the marriage program, Gary Emery is one of our local licensed uh, marriage family counselors who we lean a lot on here at Timberline for premarital counseling, a lot of different things like that. Uh, is starting a class this Sunday, so this is kind of the last chance to need to pre-register online. All the information's on the back, but just a great, great opportunity. If you're interested, please do that here within the next day. Um, did you guys have a good Easter? I hope you did. It's Easter is always just such a, uh, I mean, it's the biggest time of the year for the follower of Christ. Um, we had a, we had just had a fun time over at my parents' place, and both my brothers and kids, and each of us have like four kids. People think we're Amish or something, but and so there's just kids all over the place, and you know we get the kind of little dresses and outfits, and it's that's important more to the wives I think than to the husbands. But they're they're matching, and we're taking pictures, and I was just looking at the pictures that we took and um, noticing I, I noticed that I have last year's Easter picture on my desk at uh, church here. And I was just looking, I'm like, man, they're getting tall, they're changing, you know. And this year the girls had like kind of little heel things on. So they were almost the same height as Keaton, who's the oldest, which he was not happy about. So he was walking around on his, like the heel of his shoe, or the back of his shoe, like this, all afternoon, like to kind of you know, try to look bigger. So now it's like blown out of the water. You can't tell really how tall they all are. But it's just so much fun. But as, as I'm looking at these pictures, I'm thinking about, man, they're changing every year. Like next year... I wonder what they're going to look like. I wonder how tall they're going to be. But even maybe more importantly than that is like, who are they becoming? I don't, I don't just mean like how tall they are, what they look like, but who, who are they becoming as people? And then I even start thinking about myself, like next year, like what about me? Like who, who, who am I becoming as a person? And what I realized as I was kind of thinking about that question and just you know, kind of reflecting on it all, I realized that I, have, I really have two options and those two options are either either there's a flourishing self or a languishing self. Those are really the only two options that I have. As I think about who I'm becoming as a person over the years, each day, and we see from the very beginning of the Bible, the creation story itself, in Genesis, that God made, God made us for this one. God, God made us to flourish in life. That's his gift to us. It's his plan for us. Flourishing is when I'm in harmony with God. I'm in harmony with other people. I'm in harmony with the creation itself. 
I'm in harmony with myself. And flourishing is not measured by outward signs. It's not about it's not about income. It's not about attractiveness. It's not about your status. It's not about possessions. Flourishing means becoming the person that God had in mind when he created you. It means moving toward God's best version of you, the flourishing you, rather than the languishing you. Listen to the, I love these, worm, uh, these uh, words in the book of Psalms. Psalm 92, 12 says this, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will flourish in the courts of our God. That's the picture he's painting. The ideal experience for human beings is to live in this flourishing self. But the reality is, there inside your soul, there is a battle going on between the flourishing self, that's the person God designed you to be, and the languishing self. John Ortberg gave a couple kind of helpful categories in one of his books where he talked about the different components of who we are and what that looks like and um, he talked about this idea that there's you know there's just that spiritual component of who i am and we all long we long for things to be poured into us from outside now the the word we use for that is inspired now think of even what that word is inspired that's a that's a spirit word it literally means something is breathed into you. See, that's flourishing. Flourishing your spirit is, is to be connected with God's spirit. And the Bible says that's available at all times. It's available at every, even when you blow it, being connected with God's spirit just looks like repenting. But being connected with God's, having him breathe into your life, your spirit being connected with him is available all the time. And when my spirit flourishes, I have a sense of purpose for living. Um, I'm drawn to put on virtue, and, and I'm drawn to put off sin in my life. Well, the flourishing self also has the mental component, the mind. When you flourish mentally, your thoughts, your mind, are marked by things like peace, like joy. And so you're curious. You desire to learn, the flourishing mind is. And in unique ways, we're all different learners. Some of you, it's, it's by reading others. You, it's by, it's by listening. Some of you, it's by having conversations with people. Some of you, it's, 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 it's doing stuff with other people. It's, it's leading. But the flourishing mind is not easily bored. And when negative emotions arise, that's just a cue that I need to dig into that. I need to act. I need to ask what's going on. Now, see, the languishing mind, it's very, very different. The languishing mind feels uneasy. There's a, there's a sense of disconnectedness inside. Languishing mind is easily drawn toward bad habits. Uh, watching too much TV. Drinking too much alcohol. Misusing sex. Excessive spending. See, because these are all things that just kind of anesthetize the pain that we experience. The languishing mind, thoughts tend to drift toward fear. Uh, tend to drift toward anger. Um, learning kind of just feels like too much of an effort. And you think about yourself an excessive amount of the time. The third one is time. Now, when we flourish, when we're in a relationship with God, even your time is transformed. And when this happens to the, to the flourishing self, 
you have a confidence that whatever life throws at you, it's not going to overthrow you. When you wake up in the morning, you have, you have a sense of expectancy. You have kind of a vibrant sense that things that happen matter. They're important. You begin to think that each moment is significant. Each moment is sort of a God-filled gift. Then there's relationships. Relationships are impacted as well when we're connected with God, when, when we're in this flourishing life. See, your flourishing self invests in relationships around you. You slow down. just It's a, it's, it's a little bit easier to slow down and just to be with someone. It's, it kind of brings you energy. When you're with them, you find yourself listening deeply. You find yourself being actually really interested in them and who they are. You, you, you learn to disclose your, your thoughts and your feelings in appropriate ways to people and in a way that kind of draws them out, opens them up as well. You quickly admit when you're in error. You say, I blew it real easily. You also offer forgiveness very easy, easily. Now, your languishing self, when it comes to time, is very different, or when it comes to relationships. Languishing self is often kind of troubled relationally. Um, you're, you're undisciplined in what you say, the words that fly out of your mouth. You find yourself leaning really easily to things like gossip or maybe false flattery of, of certain people in order to you know, benefit you, or maybe you tend to isolate you retract, you fall into those unhealthy patterns. Maybe you dominate. Or you might be that you kind of attack. You get easily defensive. You're, you're always, always offended. You're easily offended at something or another. Or maybe you withdraw. And finally, experiences. When we live this life connected with God, even... Our experiences change as we grow, as we flourish. You find him changing even your experiences. Um, you have a greater desire to start contributing to things, to serve. You live with more of a, more of a sense of calling versus drive. You're not driven to things. You feel called, you feel pulled because of something internal, and it's a contributing thing. See, how much money you make doesn't matter nearly as much as doing what you love and creating value in what you're doing. Even when you suffer, when things are going horrible, you still mourn, you still weep, but there's a resilience, a quality, a resiliency there in that experience. You get better, you grow. So here's my question for myself, for you. What could you want in life more than this? See, I would suggest none of us do. Now, we try going about it different ways. I think if I, if I have the certain car, the certain house, or if I have the certain relationship, I think I'll, I'll get this. We all want to flourish. Everyone wants it. Now, while you don't want anything else more in life, what if you found out that there is someone who wants that for you more than you do? Wouldn't that be interesting? Because you want it. Every person wants it. You can't not want it. But what if there's someone who actually wants your flourishing for you more than you do. In uh, the book of Jude, New Testament, tiny, itty-bitty, little one-chapter book, in that one chapter, verse 24, 
Jude writes this, it's a, it's a doxology. Doxology is this expression of, of, of God's glory, of who he is. It's at the very, very end of the book. And in Jude one twenty four, he writes this, Jesus, he's talking, he says, to him, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And, and then he states, this is Jesus' goal. You ever wonder, God, what's your goal for my life? This is Jesus' goal for your life, he says. To present you before his glorious presence, two things, without fault and with great joy. Completeness, maturity, and happiness and joy. Well, gosh, that's all the things I want. Yeah, I know, I want those for you too, he says. But I want them more for you than you even want. What we're going to do is we're starting a series here. We're starting a six-week series, starting with tonight, that is focused on, okay, I want the flourishing self. Okay, God wants the flourishing self for me. So how does he do that? Like, because I do it, I've got a certain way that I go about trying to, you know, get the flourishing life, what I think it looks like. But is there a way that, is there a process that God has? And so over the next five weeks, we're going to look at these five different components that I would suggest, others would suggest that this is the process by which God has been growing people. He has been growing you, even if you're not, not aware of it. He is growing you this way, and he will continue to grow you in that way. Now, this is important. Why? Because if you're intentional about a process, doesn't it always work a lot better? If you know what's going on and why, it's a totally different experience than if you just randomly walk into something and you have no clue what's going on. You will definitely get more out of it. You will experience flourishing more fully. So that's, the, that's kind of the whole, whole, whole purpose of this. Because, see, the most important task in life, I would suggest, is it's not what you do, it's who you become, hands down. Most important task that you have in life, it's not what you do. It is who you become. That's the only thing you will take into eternity, is the person you are. That's it. Most important thing you'll get out of life. <clears throat> See, I think lots of times we tend to approach life. You ever seen this game? Jenga, you ever seen this one? It's not a rhetorical question. I need to know if you've seen it, otherwise it illustration. Okay. So I think lots of times we kind of live life like, like it's Jenga. I'm not going to set this up here because you all know what will happen. It will just go all over the place. See, I, I think Jenga was created by someone with a demented mind. Because, I mean, think about it. No, mo most games, you make decisions, right? You work hard, you do something, and then you win, okay? There's no winner in Jenga, right? You just get to be there when someone's life falls apart, Right? And you just watch. I mean, that's really all that it is. And you know this experience. Like, you know, you're playing and you're watching the person. And, you know, if you don't know Jenga, it's all these little blocks. And it's built up like this. And you have to kind of push one out from the center. And you pull it out. And you place it up on top. And it kind of gets thinner and, you know, taller. And, but you know that feeling like when you're playing with someone? And, and it's their turn and they're pushing. And it's kind of shaking. And you're just like, oh, come on. You know? and, they, and they get in. And they pull it out and it's shaking. And they succeed, and then they just kind of look up at you like it's your turn. Okay, my life's going to fall apart now, possibly. That's this experience of Jenga. And see, living, I would suggest, living outside of God's plan for how he's going to grow you, what we're going to be talking about here, living outside of that, not understanding, not, not walking in concert with that, is kind of like living your life like playing Jenga. See, because you think you can kind of keep pulling away at the pieces of your life, and, you know, you'll never really run out. But, 
in reality, you just kind of keep thinning your core. That's all really that happens, is little tiny pieces are, are taken out, and, and you might be pulling away little pieces of your life, thinking that you've kind of cleverly avoided the consequences. But again, once your core is thinned out, biblically we call it the soul, one tiny thing, one itty-bitty thing in your life absolutely crumbles. Jesus made a statement about that. He said, what does it profit you, talking about flourishing life, to gain the whole world and lose your soul? I've always kind of thought that about as, oh, you know, don't try to get stuff or you go to hell. No, you can lose your soul right here and now. People's souls are damaged and lost and sold and trashed daily here while we're alive. And that fear of living life that way where I'm kind of hollowing out myself one step at a time, one moment at a time, is the most frightening thing in the world, Jesus says. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to turn your tables, three-minute table talk time, and I want you to answer this question. What was the most memorable road trip that you ever took? Okay, maybe it's when you were a kid. Maybe it's, maybe it's one that you just had. Maybe it's when you're, well, I, I guess it would be memorable if you're just planning here. But what's, what's the most memorable road trip you ever had? Okay, three minutes, and then we'll pull back together. Go ahead.
Okay, let me hear a couple. What were some what were some memorable trips? To Virginia. Family in Virginia? Or just family? Yes, family. Okay. Road trip. What's another one? To what? Mackinac? Oh, okay. Never been there before. Thirty high school kids. No, we said the best road trip. You're totally confused. Oh, sounds. Oh, I did say memorable. You're right. Okay, okay, that's valid. That works. You're right. It doesn't have to be good. Okay, that sounds absolutely hellish. A bicycle trip from Denver to Salt Lake City. Either way, it's impressive. That's amazing. Wow. Wow. Holy smoke. A lot of them. Okay, so a lot of teenagers. I'd rather be on a bike with a bunch of teenagers than stuck on a bus with a bunch of teenagers. That's a lot safer sounding to me. I wonder this. Oh, you had one too. Which one? Minnesota trip. It's a lake up in Minnesota, I bet. <laughs> I, I bet if you thought about your life, if you thought about like the road trip of your life, like if you if you drew a timeline of your own kind of spiritual journey with God, what would it look like if if you were to go back and kind of put your on a few put your finger on a few things that that really shaped who you are in your relationship with God, your trust, your your faith with Him, what would that list look like? If you were to make a list of um, mile markers on that life map that, that moved you from this point in your faith to this point in your faith, what, what would those things be? See, th- those things would be what we call defining moments. Those things would be defining moments in your life. And I would suggest that oftentimes before we can go forward, we're talking about, okay, I want to grow. How is God, how, how God going to grow me? Uh, before we go forward in our life and really understanding that, maybe first we have to go backwards and look at those defining moments in life, those, those, those critical times where I, I would say, man, my trust in God, my relationship with him really grew. That, that was a mile marker for me. See, I don't know your story. But I'm guessing if we went out to lunch and we sat down around a table and you just started telling me, like, your story, I would guess it's a lot like my story. I don't mean in terms of, like, the same events happen or the sequence or any of those pieces, but I'm, I would suggest that, that probably our lists, these, these sort of faith shapers or faith growers, would all fall into one of five categories, five things that God consistently uses to grow our trust in him, to grow our faith in him. See, when you investigate the life map of people, there seems to be these, these common, we're calling them catalysts. A catalyst is something that sort of causes something. It initiates something. These are five catalysts that initiate faith growth in our lives. And I would suggest that God doesn't let any of that go to waste. And so he uses these five faith catalysts constantly. Uh, there's a there's a quote in your in your little outline by Reggie Joyner. Reggie Joyner, these these five terms come from Reggie Joyner when he talks about these. And if you want to fill in your blanks, the, these are the five things that we're going to be walking through. 
these next five weeks. The first one is what we'll call practical teaching. Practical teaching. This just this is like life changing truth. You know, a light bulb goes on in your life. Maybe maybe it was the first time you understood grace. You know, maybe maybe like for you know you grew up in church, but you kind of you always sort of felt like you're working and trying real hard to kind of be acceptable to God and clean your life up, and hopefully He'll love you. And all of a sudden, something happened. There there was some teaching, some some Bible passage, something you heard, some idea, and you finally got the idea of grace. Or maybe it was forgiveness. Maybe you're unable to forgive other people in your life because you you finally understood the cross. And the, and the price that was paid for your forgiveness. And so you go, okay, now it's, it's, it's practical teaching. It's not just interesting ideas. You, it has handles to it. You see how to apply it to your life. You see how to put it into practice. I still remember one of those defining moments for me. I was in high school, and I remember where I was. I, I, was, mowing, I was mowing lawns, and, I'm walking, and I, had my, I had my Walkman on. You remember those? yellow Walkman and, and listen, you know, got my headphones on. And I'm listening to this teaching tape, this sermon this guy was you know, preaching. And, and uh, he's talking about Gideon. And I still remember th- there was this moment where I just, as I was mowing, he talked about this idea that no matter how broken, how insecure, how messed up you think you are, God can still use you. And I remember there was like a defining moment. I remember right where I was because I remember thinking like, man, that's... Because I, I don't feel like, you know, Gideon kept saying, I'm like the, you know, my, my tribe is the smallest in the whole nation. And then the family that I'm in is like the smallest in the tribe. And I'm like the youngest, most insecure, unimportant person in the family. I'm the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. And yet God shows up and says, mighty man of valor. I mean, I still remember him talking about it. And I remember it built my trust in God because I kind of thought, maybe God could use me. Maybe, I, maybe despite all of my insecurities and I'm, I'm like this and I'm like this. And, you know, people really knew me. They would... But it was a defining moment in my life. That, that was a practical teaching that changed my life. Second one, private disciplines. These are, these are spiritual disciplines in our lives. Private disciplines. Maybe, maybe it was a, a moment where you first realized that you could actually talk to God. That it wasn't just words going to the ceiling, but God was actually present there. And I'm like, man, I can actually... I can actually talk to him. Maybe it was some experience of prayer. But private disciplines allow us to connect to God in just a unique way, in a different way. Maybe someone taught you how to memorize, a, how to memorize scripture, and you did that. And then, and then there was a later in your life where that verse just came back into your head. And, and that, that was a moment of faith growing because maybe that impacted the decision that you made. I remember when I was in, it was either third grade or fourth grade, and one of, my, one of my cousins contracted cancer. And I remember walking by my mom and dad's room. We lived in Loveland at the time. And, and uh, she, was talk, I don't know if it was, she was talking about food and dinner, and she wasn't going to eat. And I said, why aren't you going to eat? And she said, well, I'm fasting. I'm fasting for candy because she has cancer. I'm going to be praying today during the time when I normally eat. And she's focusing on God. And, and I, and I kind of said, oh, I, I, didn't, I should do that. So I remember going to school that day and had my little sack lunch. And I was kind of nervous because like, I don't want anyone to ask what I'm doing. So I kind of set my you know, sack lunch over here. And, but I remember, I remember during that time sitting, I remember right where I was sitting at the little lunch table um, at school, Lafayette Elementary School. And I remember just praying and, and just, I don't quite know how to just, but feeling just nearer to God at that moment. And it was like a defining, tiny, tiny little defining moment in my life when it comes to spiritual disciplines. Third one, 
personal ministry. These are, these are those ministry responsibilities, personal ministry. Maybe, maybe someone suckered you into going on a missions trip for a week, and you're like, I can't believe I signed up for this. And you're in some weird condition, or it's a, pro, you know, it's a, a construction project, but something happened to you on that missions trip. For the first time in your life, it, as you were serving other people, as you were giving, and it was a spirit, it was it was catalytic to your faith, your trust in God. Maybe maybe you signed up to be a, a you know youth leader or a small group leader for a bunch of seventh grade boys or something, and you were just freaked out, and you're like, I don't know what to talk to, I don't have anything to say to them. What am I going to do? And I'm not cool enough to do that, but you showed up and you were present and you saw God come through in a way that you're just like, man, that really built my faith in him. But it was, it was a defining moment. And what you realize at those times is that your spiritual growth will not grow past a stage sitting somewhere listening to someone teach. It won't grow past there unless you actually engage, unless you actually get out and start serving in some way. Until you experience serving, meaning doing what God made you to do in service of others, you're not going to experience the growth that leads to flourishing. You just simply won't. I won't either. I remember uh, a buddy of mine who I graduated from high school with. He, he, um, he got married like right out of high school and uh, joined the Navy, and, and then he had to go overseas for a while and... Uh, I remember him calling me one time. He was in another state, back east somewhere. And he said, hey, his wife's name is Jody. He said, hey, I've been talking with Jody. She wasn't a believer. He had become a believer. And he said, I've been talking you know, with her. And I think, I think she's like ready to ask, you know, give her life to Jesus. And could you go meet with her? And I was like, well, um, maybe. I've never done that before. Yeah, I guess I could. So I, we, I remember we drove to Boulder and we're kind of sitting out in this park. And so... You know, I'm kind of, and I'm nervous because I'm like, okay, Mike, it's like evangelizer. So I'm kind of going, okay, uh, so what do you want to know? And she's like, I think I'm ready. Okay, but now do you know about this? And she goes, yeah, no, I'm ready. And I'm like, okay. Uh, and I just, I like froze. I mean, I, I was just like, well, we should probably do something more though. We probably need to talk about something. Or, so I stumble around for like a half hour and I ask her a couple questions. And I, and I keep thinking she's going to have questions or push back. And then she goes, no, I'm ready. You know, sort of like, like come on. I'm like, okay. And so I prayed with her, and she asked God to be her God. And, and it was just, I walked away going like, oh, man, that freaked me out. I was so scared. I was so nervous. But it was a defining moment in my life. It was a huge faith-building moment in my life. The fourth one is providential relationships. The, these are those significant relationships in our life. I wonder if you went home and you, you made a list of all of the people who have influenced your life, what would it look like? Who would be on that, that list? They, they showed up at just the right time in your life based on what you were going through and things going on, and they somehow intersected your life. They were what you needed them to be right at that very moment. I remember all through growing up from about uh, middle school on, there, there was this guy named Jim Mitchell, who at my church, he was in the oil and gas industry in Boulder and was booming, and he was, he was pretty well off, a single guy. Uh, he, he was about 15 years older than I was, and, and uh, he just started kind of volunteering in the, in the middle school, high school group as kind of just a you know, youth assistant or whatever, and, and he was just around. He was available. 
And he eventually kind of pulled out of that his work field altogether and kind of you know gave his life to that. But he just volunteered. And man, I cannot tell you how many countless. I mean, he would take me to lunch or we would go on hikes. And and I always had questions. I always kind of I, you know difficult questions. What about this? And what about that? And I don't understand this. And he was just so patient. He just listened. And he was a pretty sharp guy. So he helped me think through so many just even intellectual questions I had. When it came to relationships and things going on, he, he, he was a wise person. He gave wise counsel. He had kind of a seasoned life. And he just, he just poured his life into me. Just, he was just there. I remember sitting on his front porch, and I'd come over, and he'd have coffee out there, and I'd just sit there, and we'd just talk about life and stuff like that. I still know Jim to this day. He, he recently moved up here to Fort Collins, and we, we connect every couple, every couple months. And he's just this guy who had this huge, he, he was a providential relationship. Providential meaning I look back and I go, that's not by accident. God provided that person. It was a providential relationship in my life. The fifth one, the last one, pivotal circumstances. Pivotal circumstances. You could probably, you probably have a lot of things you could write down that are really painful things in your life, like like unexpected things. Maybe maybe it was a phone call, and you still remember that moment of picking up that phone, and your whole world changed. Maybe it was a divorce, maybe it was an illness, but something just blindsided you. But those very circumstances that, that the enemy wanted to use to take you out, God somehow, somehow used to draw you closer to him, and your trust in God actually grew as a result of it. And it doesn't have to be negative. It could be positive, wonderful thing. Maybe it's the, announce, you know, the announcement of a birth, and all of a sudden you're a parent now, and your whole life changes. Maybe, maybe you get a job, or you get accepted into a school, or, or something changes relationally, or something wonderful happens, and it's this moment of, thank you, God. Thank you for, for this gift. But these circumstances, either by our choosing or someone else's choosing... When they come into our lives, they change our whole direction or they change our perspective. It's a, it's a defining moment. I remember when um, I, I, I had a girlfriend for a very short period of time, but I had known her for many years, and I was like in love with this girl. And uh, she was one year older than I was, and so she graduated. I knew her from youth group. Her name was Heather, and I just thought she was the greatest thing in the world. And um, And... I remember going over to her house one time, and we were going to like go for a walk. And I opened the door, and she's just like, I want to break up with you. And I was like, no. I mean, really, I was like, no, okay, that's cool. That's good. But I was crushed. And she, she, she went away to college, and then she kind of gave me hope that we're going to back together. And, and I remember, I rem- and she started writing me, and things got better. Then I remember this one letter, the final letter I got, and it was like, I'm moving on, and this is you know what I'm doing, and you know, God bless you, and all that sort of thing. And and I just remember, I mean, seriously, I was just crushed. I remember just crying. And, um, and I remember being standing in my kitchen. We lived in Longmont at the time. And kind of talking to my mom about it. And I was just like, this is just not the direction I thought things were going to go. And I, I remember what she said. She said, Brent, God is watching to see how you're going to respond. Will you still trust him? Even though you're hurt and it didn't seem like it was going to be, it, it, it didn't go. Will you still trust him? And he's watching to see, will you be faithful at this moment? And that was a defining moment for me. Absolutely defining moment. Now I hate her to this day. But it was a defining moment 
in my life. This is what I would challenge you to do. This week, I would challenge you to take these five, take these five things, and, and, and you might do it by list, like you might just actually you know, make a list under each one of these, or you might actually do a timeline. Start from, from maybe when you first gave your life to God, and just do a timeline, and, and, and physically write out, these, these were road marks. These were, these were moments that were defining moments. It was, it was a catalyst which shaped my faith, grew my faith. Might be any one of these. And I would encourage you to use, use these five as kind of a guide. And, and here's what I would suggest. No matter what you write down, I, would, I think it's going to fall under one of these five things up here. It's going to fit underneath one of them. So over the next five weeks, we're going to look at each one of these five catalysts that God uses to grow our faith in him. And see, God wants you to flourish and he is more committed to that process than you are. See, only God knows what the flourishing you looks like. Only God knows your potential for what you can look like. And he's guiding you toward that version of yourself every single moment of your life. You just either know it or you don't know it. And that's why these five are so important. Because I might be walking through a scenario or have a relationship or wrestling with an idea. And to me, it's just that. But if I all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute, this is something God's using to shape me for who I'm going to become and that's the only thing I'm going to take into eternity? This is important. How I respond is important. God has many tools. He's never in a hurry. And that can be frustrating for us because we oftentimes are. But even in that experience, he's building stuff in you. Maybe patience. God never gets discouraged by how long it's taking on you. And he delights Every single time there's an itty-bitty step of growth in our lives. Let me, let me end with this verse, Ephesians 2.10. Book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10. Paul writes this, speaking of who we are, our relationship to God, and this whole thing of flourishing and what we're about. He says, for we are his, meaning God, we are his workmanship. Some translations use the word handiwork. We're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Isn't that interesting? So that we would walk in them, walk in them. That's that life map. And as I look back on my life map, it's saying God designed, God is using things by my choice or other people's choice. He's going to use all those things, not let any of them go to waste, to shape who I become and what I bring into eternity. Now notice you are not your workmanship. Your life is not your project. Your life is God's project. And only God can see that mature, best version of you. And he's more committed to it than you are. Let's pray. Father, as we turn our attention here, just over these next five weeks even, to look at the process that, that you seem to use in our lives to shape us, to grow us. Father, if nothing else, we will be intentional now where we haven't been intentional before. And when we're intentional about it, the way we walk into situations, the way we walk into relationships, the way we handle hard circumstances, the way we push and lean into Scripture and prayer and study and fasting and all these different elements of what it what it looks like, God. 
when we're intentional, maybe our lives will be different. Maybe we will live with that sense of purpose and calling instead of just always wondering and scratching our head what's going on. So God, would you, would you sow these things into our mind in a way that is unique, God, so that we have glasses, we have categories through which now we see all that you're doing in our lives. And may that give us hope. May that instill passion and excitement in us. May we wake up every morning with a sense of anticipation for what it is that you might be doing in us and with us and through us. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, um, our prayer team will be up front. If, if there's something just going on in your life that we can pray about, we would, we would love to do that. If, uh, if you're a Timberline member and you do give faithfully and you came prepared for that, uh, one of our deacons will be in the back with an offering plate. Please just drop those, uh, that, that off in the plates in your way out. And um, hope to see you guys this weekend and uh, next Wednesday. Okay? Have a great rest of your week.